when Jesus says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, he's talking about the Spirit. That's what the text tells us plainly. But in what way do we understand that? We're not all walking around able to write inspired thoughts and things like that. We, we can't write more to the, We can't add to the Word of God, can we? But we can consult it. And we can become so familiar with the Word of God... That in fact, when we're faced with situations in our life, we have uh, essentially a mindset that's already geared to decide and choose, like, like Evan was talking about. This idea uh, that, that we have of the fact that this, this wellspring from inside of us, whose choice is it? It tells me it has to be my choice. It can't be someone else's choice. Joshua wasn't trying to force the people of Israel to serve God. He gave them the freedom to make that choice for themselves, and we know what eventually happened. And so in this, uh, as we're sort of laying the foundation, I want to just recall our mind to some things that, that maybe we've forgotten or maybe things that we haven't really thought of. If I want to be a part of the kingdom of God, I have a king who makes the rules, right? Well, it just so happens that the rules that God has made and the way that we see that he deals with man in the scriptures is that he appeals to mankind. God could snap his fingers and make us do exactly what he wants us to do. And some people even claim that happens. That if you're part of the elite, if you're part of uh, the, the, the ones that are called upon, if you're part of the elect, that, that you just automatically will do, you know, the, the Spirit will force you to do something. But that's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible calls us to make a choice. So three basic things. We want to recognize the Christian is actually called to a life of self-determination. We want to talk about some of the definitions of that and see what that is, really. Uh, And then we want to talk about how the Mosaic Law made most decisions for the believer. If you look back in the old law, there really wasn't a whole lot uh, to be done as far as uh, individual choices. We'll get to that in just a little bit. And then we want to talk about briefly how Christians are called to a greater degree of self-determination. Evan, I think, covered that very, very well, and so we're not going to go deeply into that. But we are going to hit some high points uh, toward the end of our lesson. So any questions or comments before we keep going? So in the term of self-determination, the the definition, and I, I... I have two definitions. I only put one up there because I really want a whole lot of space. But uh, Webster, at least modern Webster, defines it as the right of the people of a particular place to choose the form of government they will have uh, or the freedom to make your own choices. And that's a fine definition. I get that. But, uh, you know, you probably know me. I I really prefer the Webster 1828 definitions for a lot of things. Uh, Determination by one's own mind or determination by its own powers without extraneous impulse or influence. Uh, That last part, I think, is really important. I'm afraid that too many, for example, this is just one example, I'm afraid that too many parents want to make decisions for their children, if that makes sense. Yeah, certainly, uh, when they're little, you have to make those choices for them, right? But there comes a time where they choose for themselves what kind of life they're going to have. And, of course, that choice has consequences and all that other thing. But, you know, what kind of life 
is my son going to have if I am constantly essentially forcing him to go a certain way? Can we understand that, that might uh, build up some sort of resistance in him? Now, of course, that, that's a whole, that might be a whole different uh, concept there. And this idea might seem completely opposite of what we find in Scripture because, again, we're dealing with a God that requires us to be completely and totally obedient, to give ourselves completely to Him. But again, you think about what God has built up. He's given us a world. He's given us minds to think and to reason. I would venture to say that if we didn't have those things, then yes, I would agree with the fact that that we lock step into every single thing, you know. But there's, as we talked about, there are some things that he doesn't give us a whole lot with, and we'll we'll build on this again. But God has always expected His people to choose for themselves. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter thirty. I believe all through the Scriptures, God has expected His people to choose for themselves. The very reason, for example, that that uh, just as we're turning here and thinking about these things, the very thought that I can go out and I can sin against God today, and I'm not probably not going to be struck by lightning, right? I might be, but even if I am struck by lightning, what are the possibilities that that's God directly saying, "Okay, I'm going to punish you"? You know, we're not living in days like when Uzzah touched the ark and was struck down, right? Because God doesn't directly do those things in those ways. At least, you know, not as far as we know. We talk about His providence. But uh, back in Deuteronomy 30, in verse 19, here's Moses saying, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which with the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. This is for their good, to give them this choice. Would it have been as good if God had just forced them in lockstep to say, No, you will obey me, and if you don't, I'm just going to obliterate all of you. At every point, God is reasoning with them. Again, not to say there were not punishments from time to time. But this choice is whether to obey or not to obey. That, that really is what we have. And more primarily, we get this concept from, uh, from the book of Ezekiel as well. And uh, we might take a look at a couple of those passages. Ezekiel chapter 3. And uh, Brother Gary, would you read 17 to 21 of Ezekiel 3? Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to to save his life, that same wicked, to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you shall have you have delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin, 
and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you have delivered your soul. Can we see the distinctions there between the actions of one individual and the actions of another individual? Um, we need to recognize those distinctions, and this is all throughout uh, the book of Ezekiel. Just one quick uh, uh, notice. We don't have time to go into chapter 18, but chapter 14. Look at chapter 14. And uh, Robert, would you read 13 through 14? Just 13 and 14. Ezekiel 14, 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it, and cut off from it both man and beast. Even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves declares the Lord God. Thank you. So, even just right there, you've got that distinction. Um, think think of all these other examples that we have. When the Lord's about to d- destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, He made a special effort to get Lot and his family out of the city. When God cleansed the earth with a flood, only eight people were saved. God makes this distinction, and He calls upon us as individuals to make this choice, and we should never feel like because of family, because of other things, that I have to make a choice that is not the best thing for me in terms of serving the Lord. We need to recognize what it means between uh, choosing obedience and deciding what constitutes obedience. I can say that I love God and I want to obey Him, but again, how can I know that I've truly obeyed? We have to know the terms and conditions that God has set, Right? And we know, for example, there was a common doctrine and practice that seemingly all first century Christians were expected to understand and follow. Uh, Just one example would be 1 Corinthians 4.17. For this reason, Paul says, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son of the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. This is one of the reasons why we study and read our Bibles, specifically the New Testament, to determine what this common doctrine and practice was in the first century and still is today. So we look for that common practice. People talk about all the different churches that are out there. We've got tons of different churches, right? They can't all be right, can they? And I know, you know some people might say, well, maybe they could all be right. Think about it. I mean, really think about it. Does that make sense? You've got thousands of groups of people that believe and practice and teach different things, sometimes wildly different things, concerning baptism, concerning salvation, concerning all sorts of things. How could they all be right? The answer is they can't. Just if we're thinking about it, they can't. And so it's important that we know that right way. At the same time, on a balance, we need to recognize that some things are left up for our choice to decide how we fulfill that command. When Jesus says in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, and I'm just distilling this statement because he says, go into all nations and baptize them, you know, but, but the basic command is go and make disciples, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. 
What's interesting about that is Jesus doesn't tell us how we go. Jesus doesn't tell us where we go. Jesus doesn't tell us, you know, how many people that we make disciples. Jesus doesn't tell us what kind of people to make disciples from. That's all up for us to decide. And so there's a place where we understand that that, uh, we're not limited in this way. And, And this is useful to recognize in our interactions with others. Some people will respond to the issue of authority by saying, well, we can't serve God like they did in the first century. If we did that, we'd have to live entirely like them. Someone told me one time, well, I'm not, I'm not uh, wearing sandals and wearing you know, robes and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not back then. But, but the, the principles are still there, right? And, of course, some say we can't understand Scripture unless we understand the cultures of the ancient world in total detail. Some people say we have to use what, what they call Eastern eyes to look at the Scriptures and, and understand things in that way. I'm sorry, God's Word is timeless. It doesn't require a cultural, a specific cultural understanding. Can those cultural understandings help us? Yeah, from time to time, that's true. But it's not necessary for us to know and live through everything those in the ancient world knew and lived through for us to obey God. But we have to understand, where is that for me? And God has given us this place where we make that determination, we make that choice. But there is a definitive point where I know whether I have obeyed or not. And it's a place that we can all see and we can all know and understand, I think. In generally every aspect. Alright, any questions or comments about that? That idea of choosing to a I mean, that's a, people talk about a thread through the Bible. I mean, that started with God's instructions to Adam and Eve you know, in the garden about what to eat or not to eat. You know, it's just a a choice for us to do what he wants us to do is something that he put in place from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And let me be very clear too, by no means am I saying that someone can make up their own way of following a command per se if it goes blatantly against things, right? Um, You know, for example, some people claim that the idea that we're, we're uh, commanded to be in fellowship with each other uh, gives us leave to have common meals and all sorts of things assort, uh, associated with the, with the treasury and things like that. Um, but that betrays a misunderstanding of what fellowship really is. And we have to go back to, for example, 1 John to understand what that fellowship truly is. It's not meat and drink. It's not, you know, it's a spiritual fellowship. Just wanted to clarify there. Anything else? As, as I talked about, the Mosaic Law made most decisions for the believer. If I was a Jew, what were my obligations toward God? Well, I think in all these things there was a particular focus that was often emphasized, and we see that in the Gospels. You know, what's what's referred back to as the greatest commandment in the Gospels? Well, Deuteronomy 6 5 tells us, You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That, that was something that really, uh, I think, for faithful Jews, helped them to, to, at the core, understand these things. And we won't go to all of these passages, but I, I do want us to note a couple of things in Leviticus chapter 4. Um, one of the things I love about the book of Leviticus is that the, all the different things... Uh, of course, you have specific sacrifices emphasized, but then... You really have some general things emphasized that I think even apply today. And I think we talked about that at some point last year in terms of 
uh, Old Testament verse, worship versus New Testament worship. But, uh, and, you know, we, we won't necessarily read these, but let's just kind of, you know, pass through them a little bit and just kind of see. If you look over, just kind of glance over through chapter 4, and you see the requirements of the sin offering and how it is, is to be prepared, all these different things. Guess what? There's not a whole lot of room here, is there? There's not. There, there's really no room at all for, uh, for, for those Jews to make a distinction and just say, okay, well, I'm going to choose to do this this way or that way. No, God laid it out uh, explicitly for them all. Right? Look further in chapter 6. Chapter 6, and uh, look at verse 24. And let's just read this together. Also the Lord spake to Moses, or spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed... The sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting. Uh, I'm sorry. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. And if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy, but no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. Now, just in the language, just in the presentation, how specific is that? And, of course, we talk about sometimes, well, it's great that we're not under the old law. We don't have to worry about all those details and things like that. Well, maybe we need to rethink that a little bit from time to time. And I, uh, just, I'm saying that for us to build in our thoughts a few things. We have uh, seven annual feast days for the Jews designated throughout the, the early Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 12 and 23, Numbers 9, 28 and 29, Leviticus 23. And uh, I don't know why I have 39 on there, because there's not a Leviticus 39. But uh, at any rate... You think about that. The Jews, especially those who were in part of the dispersion that went to all these different countries, did they have any choice as to whether they were going to go to Jerusalem or not for those feast days? Now, if they wanted to be faithful to God, they were going to go to Jerusalem, right? So, in their obligations toward God, there was a specific, finite thing expected here. God had laid it out all out for them. And uh, further, obligations toward neighbors. Again, the focus in Leviticus 19 and verse 18, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And it's interesting when we look at that passage because it helps us to understand why that lawyer asked Jesus uh, during, you know, before he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember the lawyer who, who said, Well, who is my neighbor? Well, if you look back in the context of that, it almost comes across from the standpoint that the Jew was their neighbor, right? And so I think they were able to try to say, oh, well, I only treat the, treat the Jews this way. But, of course, their focus should have been broader, of course, but Jesus helped them understand that everybody is their neighbor. 
But you think about, in terms of the Old Testament, all the things that were just completely laid out. You know, I commit a crime against my neighbor. Guess what? God tells me exactly what to do. Uh, if I have killed somebody, well, depends on how that's happened. Was it intentional? Well, then that means I'm going to be stoned to death. If it wasn't intentional, maybe I can get to one of the sanctuary cities if I'm in Israel, right? Uh, it tells us what to do about adultery or divorce, raising children, what clothes to wear, right? Buying and selling, loans, many more things. And I put all this up there to help us think about, again, this question. Boy, I'm glad I don't have to uh, observe all that. But you think about that. Think about what we've been talking about so far today. Think about the choices that a Christian is expected to make. Not just the idea to be faithful and obedient to God, but what that obedience looks like and what that obedience is. We've got to determine that. Yes, sir. Sorry, I, this is a Bible study, but I get a little... Yeah, I, mean, I was just going to say, I, I mean, the reality is you look at some of these other things, like, you know, we talk about the New Testament being, you know, um, a, 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 the grown-up. You know, you, you start with the basics with the patriarchs, and then the Mosaic Law spells out more of what God... You know, it's just like from children to teenagers to grown-ups you know it's it's just and so what what it's the same expectations like we have with our kids okay you do everything i say uh and then it's like okay a little bit of choice and then okay now you choose and i want your heart to be a certain way and i want you to express gratitude a certain way i want your character to be a certain way like you know when jesus is talking well what is it hate is equated to murder and lust is equated to adultery so you have this raising of the bar as we go through the scriptures and when you come to the new testament well what does obedience look like it looks like you've got your thoughts even under control your your obedience is is uh, sourced from your heart it's not the same way a child obeys you know it, it so you know and i look at clothes you got clothes up there well you know, what's modesty look like? Well, you know, you're going to have to think about that. Because mm-hmm. it's not spelled out for you, you know. Right. And so... Yeah, the, the only reason I put clothes up there is, I mean, they're told not to wear mixed fabrics. Well, and, but, well, and but, look, but look, yeah. Look at divorce. What did the apostles, or every, what did Jesus' disciples say? Well, boy, howdy. That's, you know, you're, you're raising the bar here. You just made this way harder than we've ever had it before. Hmm. You know, so when you look at, you start having this talk about, well, you know, I'm so glad I'm not, you know, under the old, you know, all of those details. Well, you know, under the old, I don't know about y'all, but I found it a lot, of, a lot easier to be a teenager than it did to be an adult. Well, it depends on... There's a lot of responsibility, I guess, that comes with, with the re- revelation, with Christ mm-hmm. himself, with the sacrifice that he's made. And when we look at... You know, we're talking about this whole idea of, of choice. You know, these these choices, uh, you know, require that I train my heart. They require that I become like Christ as He's revealed Himself to us. Absolutely, and, and it's a perspective thing too, right? Because how many people do we know? And and I mean, 
you know, I I was kind of like this from time to time, where you know, being a te- teenager was probably one of the toughest times of your life because you're wrestling with your parents over all these different things, and then you know, some people they grow up and they get out of the house, man, I'm so glad I'm free now, you know, and I think that's the way some people view Christianity, that that you know, God was tough, he's you know, he had all these laws, but we're free of all that now. And, and I think there's a distinction there. I mean, if you were someone who didn't really have regard for God or regard for the law, guess what? Judaism was hard. It was a burden, right? And in terms of salvation and you know, the spiritual aspect of things, uh, what does Paul talk about in terms of the old law? The handwriting of ordinances that was against us, right? Well, it was nailed to the cross now. But it's not nailed to the cross so that we can do whatever we want to and just kind of, you know, it's so that we can be in submission to the law of Christ that calls us to a higher calling. Now, if if I want to be faithful to God, if my focus is on who he is, it's not going to feel like it's harder per se. Um, I, 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 I thought about, as you were making that comment, Mark, the, the idea that... Uh, Jesus in uh, in John chapter 1 and verse 16 of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ you see the reality is even though th- the bar has been raised there's been more grace given and in the sense that that I have the grace in the sense that you know th- the fact that we have this scripture that's grace God didn't have to give us all this all this uh, to, to look at and to consider. The fact that we have the ability to choose and work out these things. And, and, and the reality is it's not, it's not that hard to know what the right way is. The hard part is actually applying it and understanding, okay, where does this apply in my life? How does this come about? So, yes, sir. In a sense, it, it would be nice to have a specific set of rules, but that's not the way the New Testament yeah. writers portrayed yeah. the old law versus the new law. You know, yeah. I understand what you're saying when you say that. And I'm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would like to have everything exactly spelled out. But whatever the old law was compared to the, the new law, when we look at people who lived under the old law, you know, the, the people we have record of, the apostles, and then the ones that lived under the old law and then, and then switched to the new law, they seem to be able to appreciate or recognize how much better it was and try to describe yeah. that too. Yeah, and I think another, I think a trap we get into is when we want things to be so specific. You know, you talk to somebody about, you know, for example, their attendance at the local congregation. Well, do I really have to be there on Wednesdays? Do I really have to be there every time the doors are open? Well, if you're asking that question, then you're already in a place where you need to realize some things and go back and look at the foundation there. Again, it's a perspective thing where if I want just everything laid out for me exactly, then it's really not my faith. I mean, right? If, if, I'm, if I want someone else to tell me exactly about, you know, I mean, really, I, I want a creed book at that point, don't I? Yes, sir. I mean, that, that question is really all about, you know, I just want to do my will and I'm looking for an excuse because, you know, even the most ignorant folks know, you know, if you want your wife to know you love her, 
well, do I really have to, you know, do this, this, and this? <laughs> you know, like, do mm-hmm. I really have to be at services every time the doors are well? They, I mean, do you really want your brethren to know you love them? Do you really want God to know you you love it? You know, it's, it's like you see. Well, you know, when did God know that uh, about Abraham's faith? You know, when 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 does He know? Mm-hmm. When He knows when you do. You know, yeah. It's it's not. Uh, it's not a mystery to anybody what that's about when I say, you know, what, what all do I have to do? Give me my checklist for a happy marriage or give me my checklist. You know, you want to check this stuff off as best you can, but you're not in. Yeah. You're, you're not bought yeah. in. You, you're not there. Yeah. You know, that's that's what that request for that checklist is. And I think when we get into, you know, a little bit of the what we might call practical Again, Christians are called to a greater degree of self-determination. And I'm just briefly putting these things up here. Some of these passages we've already looked at this morning. But uh, in terms of obedience, in terms of conduct, and in my growth, and in my participation with other Christians, and you know, all these things are questions or things that we have to settle. Um, Evan mentioned you know, about the true religion and undefiled before the fathers is to, to help the orphans and the widows. Well, guess what? There's different ways that I can do that, right? Um, someone who specifically has maybe widows they're going and visiting with, that's great. But maybe another person is just going to the local retirement community and talking to some random people around there. Guess what? Both of those are valid ways to fulfill that command. And there's no place where we have to lay judgment, for example, against someone else when they're obeying the command in that way. Does that make sense? So, so you know, just wanted to make some distinctions there because, again, God doesn't tell us what widows to visit, when to visit them, and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, you could really put in all this, you could put fasting under that as well. You know, uh, what are we told? We're told to keep it quiet <laughs> as much as possible. And Yes, ma'am. You know, that's a multi-layered thing, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, even Jesus, you think about the limited commission, he even gives them, you know, pretty fair choice there to say, you know, go out and do this. He's going to send them out preaching. This is what you can do. He sets up boundaries for them at the time. You can only take this much. But where they go, who they talk to, was entirely up to them. That's the impression I get. And he did set limits, you know, uh, wherever you go and stay, you stay there until you leave. And if they reject you, you know, shake the dust off your feet and move on. But overall, you know, again, it's this idea that within the scope of the obedience of God, we have we have this freedom to be able to, to say, okay, I, I want to go and do this. Maybe somebody 
uh, feels like they're more at use in a soup kitchen somewhere than actually going and trying to visit people. You know, maybe that that's part of their visiting in their mind, right? There's different ways that we can see that. But, of course, the, the limit that we understand is whether we're actually obeying the command or not. And, again, we want to try to, to find that and understand that uh, for each other and for ourselves individually, especially.